And once you have that, you can open up Second Chronicles 20. If you're visiting us today, welcome. Just want to give you guys a recap. So this month we've been kind of focusing on prayer because we're, we're going into this week of prayer and fasting with a, a theme of looking to God to fight the, the battles in our life or the adversity we so often face in this life rather than trying to fight them ourselves or tackle those things head on because as Christians, as followers of Christ, we no longer have to do that. We have God to rely on. And a couple of weeks ago, we went through or we started in Ephesians 6, um, verses 10 through 20, which tells us we are, in fact, in a very real battle 24 hours a day. But so often in our lives, we think we're battling against people or we're battling against those things in our lives that aren't going the way we would want. But that isn't, in fact, who we're battling against or that's not our enemy. Our enemy is very real, too, and it's Satan. And his demonic army that follows him who have the goals, according to Jesus in John 10, 10, of killing us, stealing from us and destroying us. And because our battle, our main enemy is actually spiritual and not physical, it demands that we use spiritual weapons to defend ourselves in those attacks that he brings uh, against us. And those those weapons, if you will, are given to us, or we have access to them through our faith in Jesus Christ. Amen? Now, we talked we talked about how even though this is a battle, um, that that battle is in fact, or has in fact already been won for us through Jesus' victory that he secured at the cross. So it's not so much a battle that you're trying to win, it's a battle that as a follower of Jesus, we're learning to live in that victory that Christ has won for us. And the Bible gives us, um, or the, the thing we mainly were focusing on is that prayer is the way that we armor up. Prayer is the way that we invite God to fight on our behalf or that we stand firm in his strength and his might and his victory instead of trying to figure things out in ourselves or trying to um, defend ourselves or trying to work things out on our own, which usually make, leaves us feeling weak and vulnerable. How many of you guys can relate to that? And so a lot of our Christian walk is learning. We're in this battle. We're, we're being attacked by the enemy. And we're learning to live in this victory. And prayer is the way we invite God to help us with that. And so the Bible gives us lots of examples of God's people going through the same things we go through every day. Going through difficult things. Going through adversity. And God encouraging them to do the same things we're encouraged to in Ephesians 6. And that is to stand firm. And let God handle it, work on their behalf, and watch him deliver them and work it all for his good. And those things are there for us to learn from. They're examples because we all struggle with the same things. Paul actually tells us in Romans 15:4, such things were written in the scriptures long ago to teach us. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. They're there to teach us as an example. And they're there to give us hope and encouragement because if God came through for them... He'll come through for us. It's an example for us to learn from. So today we're going to look at one of these practical examples of God's people literally in a battle or facing a battle in their life. In Second Chronicles chapter 20, as we see the nation of Israel basically coming against an enemy that by all accounts, there's no way in their own power they can defeat. Okay, so let me pray one more time and then we'll start going through this text. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, again. 
we want to just make sure that our focus is completely on you. There's so many things going on in our lives at any one moment that can distract us. And Lord, we don't want to be distracted when you're trying to speak to us because we don't want to miss out on, on the things you're trying to teach us in our lives, knowing that it's all valuable. Every bit of your word is necessary for us to know how to experience all every good work that you have for us. So we don't, knowing it's all important, we don't want to miss any of it. And knowing that your spirit is inside of us, that you're here in this place, and that your spirit works through the word of God in helping us not only know it, but understand it, how it applies to our lives at any given moment. Lord, we, we want to listen for what it is that you're specifically trying to teach each of us so that we can know how to apply it in our lives for the things going on in our lives, either now or later. So may we listen. May our our hearts be what the Bible calls good soil, where the seeds of your word uh, get implanted in it and they grow and they produce fruit in our lives. May we be like Paul exhorts us, those that allow you to renew our minds, no longer staying conformed to this world. We've been saved from this world we don't want to remain the same we want you to change our minds so that we see things rightly and we are able to live rightly in the power of your spirit lord so have your way in us in jesus name amen so starting in second chronicles 20 verse 1 it says after this now leading up to this chapter if you aren't familiar with the section of scripture the nation of Israel, it's split into two kingdoms, right? There's the northern kingdom, which is called Israel. And then there's a the southern kingdom, which is called Judah. And at this point in their history, the king of Judah, or the southern half of Israel, was Jehoshaphat. And just recently, a couple chapters ago, Jehoshaphat, being a relatively good king, made a poor decision. In chapter 18, he decided to align himself uh, align himself with this king Ahab, who was king of the northern kingdom, who was an evil king. Somebody that did not desire to live for the one and only true God. And he asked Jehoshaphat to basically help him in a battle. And it almost results in Jehoshaphat getting killed. And God basically rebukes him for that mistake. But at the same time, he understands that overall it was a mistake. His heart is to follow him. And Jehoshaphat's repentant. He actually responds by, in chapter 19, by implementing a bunch of reforms throughout the nation of Israel, or the southern kingdom of Judah, to make sure that he's living rightly according to God's word, and the, the people are living rightly according to God's word. And there's this revival happening as people have returned to God, they're, they're in his word, they're worshiping him, they're, they're living rightly for him. And there's just blessing happening, all right? That's kind of what revival is, all right? So that's happening. That's what's encompassed in this after this. And it says, after this, the Moabites, the Ammonites, and with them some of the Meunites came against Jehoshaphat for battle, all right? Now, the longer I follow the Lord in my life, what I see is this pattern of where when things are going good, when I feel close to God, when I'm living rightly for God, when I feel like I'm doing the things he wants me to be doing for them, that seems to be when the attacks 
come. The attacks from the enemy. Again, Satan's goal being trying, trying to distract me or discourage me from the Lord and his will for me. Or basically trying to get me to either take myself out of the battle by causing me to panic or become discouraged or distraught. Or him just trying to take me down um, by me trying to take matters into my own hands, trying to figure things out and actually just, in a sense, making things worse or making things harder than they really were intended to be. Rather than standing firm or enduring and persevering as we see scripture encourage us to do the whole time, he wants me to run, if you will. And, and this is at those points when, when you're in, when you're living for God and you're, you're facing a battle like that, that's when we have that choice. Or am I going to trust God? Am I going to persevere? I'm going to endure or I'm going to listen to the enemy and believe his lies because his goal is to distract in an attempt to destroy us. Now I can think of one very, um, apparent or, uh, an example in my life where this was very apparent and this was a while back. I've told this story before. Some of you guys have heard this, but it's just one of these instances where it was very apparent what the enemy was doing. So there was a mission trip we were going on, and I was leading this mission trip to Columbia. And I just remember that leading up to this mission trip, there it was in uh, there was a season of sickness, much like is what's going around now, where it seems like everyone's getting sick. There's sickness going through households, and there was a stomach flu, and it was going around everywhere. I mean, there was like half the church was dealing with it leading up to this mission trip. And I remember saying out loud, man, as long as I get it before I go on this trip, because I cannot handle the stomach flu while I'm on this trip, okay? What I learned from this is that the enemy, he's not God. He's not all-knowing. He doesn't, can't read your mind. But don't give him ammo to use against you, all right? Because he's no fool, all right, he knows where your, like, where your weaknesses are, and he will try to use those against you. So I kid you not, as I'm driving, they were pulling away from the annex to head to Seattle. Like me driving the van with our team to go on this mission trip. And as I'm driving across the New Young's Bay, I'm starting to get nauseous. I'm feeling fine up to this point, but I start to get nauseous. Remember, Stephen was in the front seat with me. And I, I'm just like, like in my head, I'm like, this is like anxiety. I'm freaking myself out. There's no way I'm getting like sick like right now. And it's just getting worse and worse to the point where I'm starting to sweat. And I just pull over at Safeway and like Stephen's like, what are you doing? And I'm like, dude, I, I feel like I'm going to throw up. I got to get out of the car. So I just I literally put that car in park, run in and and like like I don't vomit, but I'm about to. And like just kind of I'm laying down on like the bathroom floor in a stall because I'm like so sick and I'm sweating and I'm like, I'm laying there for about five minutes and, and like Steven's like texting me, where the heck are you? What are you doing? And like, I, I start to feel better. I grab like a gator egg and, and I'm like, okay, maybe it is just anxiety. Maybe this will pass. And I'm like, dude, I'm going to need you. I get back in the car. I'm going to need you to drive. I just thought I was going to be sick or whatever, but I think I'm fine now. 15 minutes down the road, it starts coming back. I'm like, pull over, puke. It's like that all the way up to Seattle. Every couple hours, I'm like, pull over. I'm puking like all along I-5. I'm in the line trying to like handle all the tickets and stuff. And I'm tr- giving my credit card to people and I'm running to the bathroom. It's like that on this red-eye flight all the way down to Columbia. Now, as I'm driving up there to Seattle, there's this thought in my head, man, just let them drop you off on the side of the road and I'll find my way home. Like, I, I'm just, this is miserable. 
You know, I'm like, I am not. And at the same time, there's this battle in my head of like, man, I, I just need to be faithful. Don't let the enemy discourage you. And I don't, I don't, we don't understand everything about the spiritual realm, but we do know, like in Job is a great example that the enemy can't do anything to you unless God allows him to. Okay, physically, I don't believe that. He can get you to believe lies, but I don't believe he can physically do anything unless God allows you. And that is, if God allows you, as we see with Job, it's because it's going to work for his good will towards you. All right? God knows more than the enemy does. But all that to say is, like, I'm sensing, man, this is spiritual. I need to just resist the devil and he'll flee. And so I push through all of that. And by the time we get down to our connecting flight in Fort Lauderdale that morning after, I'm totally fine. Back to normal, eating food, feeling great, other than, you know, a little bruised stomach from throwing up for like eight hours. But other than that, I'm, I'm good to go. And that trip was absolutely amazing. God did so much amazing things on that. But that was just one of those examples where I saw it for what it was. I'm like, dude, this is the enemy. And I've learned to keep my mouth shut too. Like if I'm thinking things like, oh man, this, this would be so hard. I'm just not going to give the enemy that ammo to use against me. But that's just an example of like, and how many guys can relate with that? You feel like things are going good in your walk with the Lord and you just, all of a sudden it feels like everything's coming against you and you recognize it for what it is. Man, this is, this is spiritual. This is the enemy and I just need to persevere. I need to endure. That's what the enemy does. And here in Second Chronicles 20, we see the enemy attacking God's people on the heels of revival or them rightly living for the Lord in an attempt to distract them away from God, to not be doing the things that they're doing for the Lord. Amen? So it goes on in verse 2 and it says, Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, A great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea. And behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is in Gedi. If you guys don't know, in Gedi's not too far from Jerusalem. In Jerusalem's where, uh, the, where he would have been, the capital of Judah, right? So this is Jehoshaphat, fresh on his mind. He just came from a battle where he almost got killed in it. And he gets word there's an army. They're pretty close. It's a huge army and they're coming to get you guys. It says in verse 3, then Jehoshaphat was afraid. Now, I think we can relate to that reaction at seeing this this trial this army coming in his face that is our initial reaction in our flesh when there's something in our life that is in front of us that's hard or appears hard it appears uncertain it appears to be something that we don't want to be happening that's undesirable we can be fearful in the face of that but at the same time in knowing that that can be our flesh's initial reaction we have to understand that that is not what god desires for us okay He does not intend for us to stay in that place of fear or worry or anxiousness. God tells us the contrary in his word, that fear is never his intent for us. He says in 2 Timothy 1, 7, For God has not given us a spirit of fear and timidity. That fear is not from God, but of power, power in him, in in his strength, love is. And self-discipline, or some of your translations say self-control. I like that. That's that stability I was talking about a couple weeks ago. We are stable in Christ and who we are in him and the promises he's given us. That's what he intends for us. Not fear, but power, love, and self-discipline. As I shared a couple weeks ago, fear is in essence faith in the devil or believing his lies instead of faith in God in believing the truth of his word. 
Okay? And John tells us, he goes on to tell us in 1 John 14, there's no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear, for fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now, this is an interesting passage, too, because what it tells us is that fear has to do with punishment. And in essence, basically, why are we fearful? We're fearful because we are afraid something bad is going to happen to us because of whatever we perceive. We're fearful we're going to be punished. But why perfect love, that perfect love that's being talked about there is the perfect love God has for you. Why it casts out fear is because all the punishment that you and I deserve, which we did deserve punishment for our sin, who took that upon themselves? Jesus, right? Jesus took upon all the punishment that you and me deserve. So there's no punishment to be had now. All right? The only thing that's to be had is God's favor on your life. His grace, grace upon grace, as the Bible tells us. So we don't have to be fearful anymore. We can know with a confidence that God just loves us unconditionally and wants to show us his favor, not punishment. Now, we might need to be disciplined from time to time, as Hebrews 12, 6 tells about or 12, 6 tells us. But here's the thing. For all you parents in here, when we discipline our kids, it's not with the intent of hurting them or harming them. It's for their betterment because we're trying to save them from harmful uh, actions or, or harmful decisions, right? And so if that's always our intent with our kids, and, and given we're not perfect in that, sometimes in our flesh we lose our temper, we react wrongly. But here's the thing. God is perfect. He is a perfect father. As somebody was praying earlier, he perfectly loves you. So if my intent is always wanting the best for my kids, how much more is God's intent always wanting the best for you? And that's an assurance in us. His perfect love casts out fear. We can be assured he only wants good things for us. And it's at that moment of facing an impending battle or trial where our initial feeling can be fear that we have a choice How am I going to respond? And it's important to remember that the thoughts you hold on to can determine the future you head into. Okay? The thoughts you hold on to can determine the future you head into. Because number one, you can stay afraid. And if you stay afraid, your fear is going to dictate what you're going to do after that point. Like how you react, what you're going to think. Are you going to panic? Are you going to try to take things into your own hands? Are you going to try to work something out that really just isn't there to work out? Or are you going to do what Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5, where he says, for though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments And every pretension or the idea is claim or assertion that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So when that that trial, that adversity is in front of you, you have the decision. Your flesh might initially be fearful, but am I going to stay in that place of fear or am I going to take that irrational feeling of fear because God's given me every reason not to be fearful. And I'm going to I'm going to demolish it, as it says here. I'm going to use that sword of the word that we learned in Ephesians six. And I'm going to confront that 
for the lie that it is. And I'm going to stand on the truth of God's word instead. I'm going to believe it in faith. See, we got to be really careful not to let our circumstances interpret God's word, but rather let God's word interpret our circumstances. Okay. And as we take captive of our thoughts and make sure they're guided by God's word rather than our emotions, we go to the Lord for help because that's what he tells us to do rather than trying to fight the battles ourselves or run from them. Remember, our feelings never dictate our future. God does. All right? That's the reality, okay? So we don't believe our feelings if they contradict what God has told us in his word. That's important to remember. And here we see Jehoshaphat handle this fear the correct way. As it leads to, and it's going to lead to the what I want you to note is the first principle that we see in this text. When facing a trial or battle, seek the Lord in prayer. Okay? And you guys can note that if you're a note taker. Because this is something that this week as we're going through or our week of prayer and fasting, you're going to have the opportunity to do this. And I want to encourage you, if you're going through something hard right now, or if you have a big decision to make, if there is a battle in your life, this is what we need to be intentional to do. Go to the Lord with it instead of handling it ourselves. Okay? He goes on to say here, then Jehoshaphat was afraid and it says, and set his face to seek the Lord or basically pray. And proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. Now note, Jehoshaphat doesn't try to take matters in his own hands or freak out, even though his initial reaction was fear. But rather, he goes to seek the Lord or pray with fasting. And he gathers the people of the Lord with him. He doesn't try to do it alone, knowing that their tendency is going to be to freak out too, because we all struggle with the same things, right? And that's a good word for us because this is a great example of how when we face hard things in our lives, we're not supposed to go through them by ourselves. God's given us a church family to support us in our battles. And one of the ways we do that is by praying for each other or with each other instead of trying just to go through it on our own. But here's the thing. If we don't ever let anyone know that we're dealing with something hard, they can't do that for us, right? And this is another thing that you're going to have the opportunity to do this week as we have all these prayer meetings. You can share those hard things with your brothers, sisters in Christ, and you can pray with them or have them pray for you. Amen? And I want to take the time a little bit to just talk about fasting here briefly. Um, In years past, I've done full teachings on this, and those are all online. You guys can watch them or listen to them if you want. But this, this year, it didn't really work out that way. But I do want to touch on it briefly because this week, we call it the week of prayer and fasting. So I want to make sure we have a, a, a general overview of what fasting is. So we have some slides up there as I go through the, these principles. There's four things I want to talk about. They'll be up there if you want to look at them. So first thing I want to talk about is what fasting is. Now, fasting is kind of the latest health craze going around right now, right? That's not why we do it biblically. I'm not saying that's wrong. It does have health benefits according to a lot of physicians, stuff like that. But that's not the main reason you fast. Biblically, with our spiritual relationship with God, it means to abstain from all or some kinds of food and drink with the purpose of seeking God. 
okay? Because basically our flesh is one of the biggest hindrances to us following God, all right? So it is a good thing to fast or say no to our flesh with that intent of saying yes to God or denying the physical aspect of our lives because we want the spiritual aspect of them to grow, all right? And one reason that it's important to understand that we don't fast, because this is a misconception some people can have, is that you're not doing it to somehow gain favor with God or make yourself more right in God's eyes. Because here's the thing, you already have God's favor and there's nothing you could do in your life to be any more right with God. So the reason you fast is because you know those things to be true. You already know God wants to show you his favor. You already know because that you're right in his eyes that he, you can confidently come before him with anything and he wants you to as your father in heaven. And so when we draw near to him, we can be confident that he's going to draw near to us as James 4, 8 says. Okay. And then Jesus, he tells us in Revelation 3, 20, look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. So here's the thing. That, in essence, is prayer. Jesus is always there. He's always wanting to come in and be close with you. But it's up to us to invite him in to participate in our lives. And that is what prayer is. We're inviting God to come participate in our lives. And fasting helps us do that. In essence, if there's a hard thing going on in your life, God is trying to use that in many different ways, but one of those ways is he's using that hard thing to get you to draw near to him so he can draw near to you. That's an important thing to understand, all right? Now, the second thing I want to talk about is how we should fast. There's different types of fasts we see in the Bible. There's an absolute or full fast, which basically means no food or water. Moses in Exodus 34, 28 gives us a crazy miraculous example of that where for 40 days and 40 nights while he's receiving the 10 commandments for the lord on mount sinai he goes without food and water um there's a normal fast uh where there's no food um only liquids and that would appear to be what jesus did in matthew 4 when he goes out into the desert for 40 nights because the enemy only tempts him with food doesn't tempt him with water um and that's typically what I've done in years past when I do a fast. I, I just abstain from solid food or whatnot and have water or other liquids. And then there's a partial fast, um, which is abstaining from certain types of food or maybe specific meals during the day. Daniel does a couple of those. One of them's in Daniel 10, where there's just certain things that he's not eating as he's fasting and seeking the Lord. And the main, the main, with the main goal of fasting basically to, um, spend time with God, to seek God, there's other things that you can consider you might want to fast from as well. Anything that would take up time in your life, like social media, TV, or exercise, or anything that your flesh would enjoy or crave regularly, because basically you the goal is you're replacing that time with spending time with God and seeking him in prayer. Or when your flesh craves those things, you can say no, and it's a reminder for you to pray instead, okay? So there's... Different ways, multiple different ways you can fast. And the fact that you see different ways in scripture of people fasting means that it, it or it shows us that it's not so much what you're doing. It's just the fact that you have a heart to seek God. That's what he cares about. Okay. Now, um, this 
third thing I want to talk about is why we should fast. And that's the next slide. And we see people fasting with prayer for numerous reasons in the Bible. For deliverance from sin or oppression from the enemy. To seek protection from the Lord. Um, while seeking revival in their relationship with God. When they're discouraged or troubled and they want comfort or understanding from God. Um, for strength against temptation when they're struggling with sin. As a part of their repentance and seeking restoration with the Lord. To draw near to God just to want to be close to him. To ask for help against trials in their lives. Or for direction from the Lord. Really, anything that you need Jesus to be a part of in your life, which is everything, you can use fasting to assist you as you seek him in prayer for those things. All right, And you see a multitude of different things. People in the Bible fast and pray. And then the last thing I want to talk about is when we should fast. And Jesus makes this clear in Matthew 6.16, you should do it regularly. Because when he's teaching his disciples on fasting, the first thing he says is when you fast, inferring that it's something we should do regularly in our lives. And again, I try to encourage people, don't put a prescriptive timeline on it that God never does. Because sometimes we can make it like sound um, more difficult than it needs to be in that like, well, I got to fast for this long. God doesn't say that. So you can fast for an hour, you can fast for a day, you can fast for a week, you can fast for a month. Whatever you're sensing the Lord leading you to do because your intent is to draw near to him, to seek him, to ask him for help in something or guidance in something, it's really up to you. And there's no wrong thing. And I encourage you that. I encourage you in that because that's the type of lie that the enemy will put in your head, probably in some of your heads this week, to try to discourage you from fasting. Like, oh no, you're too busy. You can't commit to like not eating any food. You can't commit to coming to any prayer meetings. It, don't listen to that. Whatever you can do, if your heart is just to seek God and spend time with him and pray and, and involve him in your life, that's all God cares about. All right? And so you move forward and just trust him and then watch him do what he's going to do. And that's draw near to you. Amen. All right. So um, that's just a brief explanation of fasting. But if you've got any more questions, you can ask me or like I said, we've got more detailed teachings on it. But the next principle I want to point out in this text is that uh, how Jehoshaphat starts out his prayer. And that is that he remembers who God is. And again, this is something that you guys are going to get to opportunity to do this week and sometimes we think about prayer as just kind of bringing our request to god or asking god about things or you know asking for wisdom or deliverance from something i want to encourage you just as at the end of worship we were praising god for who he is that's a big part of prayer too and that's what you're going to see jehoshaphat do here it says in verse five and jehoshaphat stood in the assembly of judah in jerusalem in the house of the lord before the new court and said, O Lord God of our fathers, are you not God in heaven? You rule over all the kingdoms of the nations. In your hand are power in might so that none is able to withstand you. So in the face of hard things in our lives, it's important for us to remind ourselves who God is. Because here's the thing. Whereas you might very well be helpless in that hard thing that you're facing, God is not helpless. He's got unlimited power. He's in total control. Whereas you might have no understanding 
what that what's going on how is it going to work out i don't just this just doesn't make any sense to me god has complete understanding of the situation he knows the past the present in the future and remembering who god is will give you the proper perspective regarding what it is that you're facing really not being that big of a deal at all to the God who is in control and knows all things and has said he loves you and wants good things for you. You see, we can get real focused on wanting to know the details of how things are going to work out for us. But the reality is, if you have a firm understanding of who the who is, then the how really doesn't matter anymore. Okay? That's important. If you know the the who, the how won't be so important to you anymore. And this leads to the third thing I want you to note in how Jehoshaphat continues his prayer. Number three, he remembers God's past faithfulness. And that leads to a present trust in his life. Okay? And this is another thing this week that we can practice as we're praying. Remembering God's past faithfulness. It says in verse 7, Did you not, our God, drive out the inhabitants of the land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? And they have lived in it and have built for you in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, if disaster comes upon us, the sword, judgment or pestilence or famine, we will stand before this house and before you for your name is in this house and cry out to you in our affliction and you will hear and save. Revelation twelve eleven tells us that they have, these are believers, have defeated him, that being the enemy, By the blood of the lamb and by their testimony, as I've pointed out before, the victory you have over whatever this life throws at you has already been won in Jesus Christ. But your testimony is the proof of that victory. And your testimony is all the instances of God's faithfulness in your life. And just like the Jewish people, you guys all have a testimony from the moment you placed your faith in Jesus Christ and his past faithfulness demands our present trust as you've been promised nothing but God's grace or favor in your life. John 1.16 tells us that God wants to show you grace upon grace. Just as a moment of his favor ends, the next one starts. And the only proper response to the grace you've been already shown in your life is thankfulness. And the only proper response to the grace that God has promised you in the future is faith. And in remembering just who God was, and his past faithfulness in their lives, it leads Jehoshaphat to a place of humility and reliance on God. And that leads to the fourth thing I want to point out. Make sure you're relying on God rather than anything else when you're facing difficulties in life. It says in verse 10, And now behold, the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Sire, whom you would not let Israel invade when they came from the land of Egypt, And whom they avoided and did not destroy. Behold, they reward us by coming to drive us out of your possession, which you have given us to inherit. O our God, will you not execute judgment on them? For we are powerless against this great horde that is coming against us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. In the face of this large army coming to attack them, King Jehoshaphat in humility realizes that, man, we're helpless. There's no way we can beat these guys. He also realizes in verse 12, I don't even know how to react. I don't know what to do in this situation. And this is 
a great place to be. It may not sound like a great place to be. It may not feel like a great place to be when you're in that place of feeling helpless and not knowing what to do. But it is a great place to be because it causes you to seek the Lord for guidance and intervention on your behalf. The battles we face in this life are scary because here's the thing. When you're facing something hard in your life, so often what it makes you realize is that you have no control. We all want control to some degree, as it was pointed out earlier, like in the announcements on making schedules. We all want our we would love our life to be scheduled. We'd love to know that it was all going to turn out good and all the details that led to that. But that's not how it is. And when something hard is in front of us, what we often realize is we have no control and we're vulnerable. And that is scary. But those hard things are also meant to show you. In understanding that you're vulnerable and that you're helpless, that you have a need for God. Who is not helpless, who is not vulnerable, who is all powerful and in control of all things so that you don't have to be fearful anymore. Because those who put their trust and hope in him instead of themselves truly have nothing to be afraid of. That's what scripture teaches us. And with so many voices in the world telling us what to do, what's right, what's wrong. Here's how to have a good marriage. Here's how to raise your kids. And many of those things contradicting themselves. I am so glad. As confusing as it all is that I can be like Jehoshaphat and humility. Just admit I don't know what to do, Lord. I don't know what to do. And then to be confident that if I come to him with that type of attitude, he wants to bless me and how he responds. This is what Isaiah 30, 18 tells us. So the Lord must wait for you to come to him so he can show you his love and compassion. For the Lord is a faithful God. Blessed are those who wait for his help. True prayer is never overcoming God's reluctance. It's grabbing on to his willingness. He wants to respond with love and compassion. He wants to be faithful. He wants to bless those who wait or look to him for help. But it takes humility to do this. Is you're not going to go to him for help unless you understand you need it. And Peter tells us this in 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7. He says, humble yourselves under the mighty power of God. And at the right time, he will lift you up in honor. Give all your worries and cares to God for he cares for you. The reason we humble ourselves is because God is mighty and we're not. And we trust that in his right timing, he's going to exalt us or lift us up to a place of honor. Put you somewhere where you're better off than you would be if you didn't involve him. And you can give him your worries and cares knowing he loves you. He cares for you. He's already demonstrated that in giving his son for you. Whereas we have no control over our circumstances. The Lord, he's in complete control of all of them. And has promised to work them all for the good of those that love him. And are called according to his purpose. That's what Romans 8.28 says. And understanding that reality should make the Lord Really, the first person we go to whenever we have any adversity or anything that seems hard in our life. And so after bringing this petition to the Lord, the fifth, the fifth thing I want you to note the people do here, 
is they wait for the Lord to respond. It says in verse 13, Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. So all the people, them and their families, they gather together, they pray, and then they wait together. Again, this is something that we get to do this week that I encourage you guys to do. Don't think you're too, your kids are too young to pray. I would encourage you, you pray with them. Because what I've seen in my life is that God loves to show off to our kids. He wants to reveal himself to them at a young age. And prayer is one of those opportunities you give him to glorify himself in such a way that it's just so obvious God is real. And so involve them in prayer. Involve them in fasting. Maybe that's, you know, my kids in the past have chosen to go without video games. Because it's time they can replace with prayer. They've gone without sweets because that's something they know they crave a lot. And it'll remind them to pray. Involve them. See what they'd like to fast from and and help them understand. This is so we can see God. Because he loves us and he wants to show favor. He wants to be involved in our lives. He wants us to pray so he can answer those prayers. And again, this can be hard to do where we wait on the Lord to respond. Especially when you don't see how things are going the way you want. This is the main thing that prevents us from standing firm, as we saw in Ephesians 2, or Ephesians 6, sorry. But we have to remember, again, that your understanding of any given situation in your life is always partial. I like to think that I understand and I see all the details, but the reality is you don't. God does. He knows the past. He knows the present. He knows the future. And that's why it makes way more sense to trust him with the situation than try to Handle it based off of my presumption that I understand it. And this is where we're called to walk by faith and not by sight, as Paul exhorts us in 2 Corinthians 5, 7. That means we're not making decisions based off of what we see or perceive to be reality, but rather we're trusting it to God, knowing that he knows everything and we don't. And it's also in the middle of any adversity or trial in your life That if you're willing to wait on God, if you're willing to seek him instead of trying to take the bull by the horns and just do it yourself, you give him an opportunity to do the things that we all want to see him do in our lives, the miraculous things, answer, basically keep his promises to us. So often I wonder if I'm missing out on what God wants to do in my life, missing out on those cool things that I want to see him do Because I'm just impatient. I'm just not willing to wait. I'm just got to figure it out myself. Or I got to make it happen right now. When really there's no reason to do that. Sometimes I hear people say like, well, I I just don't know what to do. And I'm not hearing from God. So I'm just going to make a decision. And I'm like, that's a horrible reason to make a decision. That you don't know what to do. It's like, don't make a decision if you don't know what to do. So often we think we need to make a decision and we don't. It's so much better to wait upon the Lord, to give him a chance to part the Red Sea for us. The things we question God about now so often become the things that we praise him for then, if we're willing to wait. I can think of one example in my life where um, when we sold our house in Astoria, And at the time, we were thinking God was opening the door for us to go into the mission field. And so we wanted to have a month-to-month rental in Astoria, which all of you know how likely that is, like slim to none. 
But we, there was one that came on the market, just happened to come on the market when we were looking through a property manager. And so we reach out and like it, the pictures look great. And we're like, you know what? We'll, we'll take it without even looking at it, knowing how hard these things are and just thinking we're going to be in it temporarily. And they're like, oh, you can't, you can't take it unless you go and see it. And we're like, okay, well, make us an appointment. We'll go see it. And they're like, okay, that's cool. But there's somebody in front of you. And we're like, oh, great. Because this was like affordable. It was month to month. I'm like, there's no way that person's going to put an application. I'm like, here's what we're going to do, babe. I'm like, you go see it. I will stand at the property manager office because this was out in like Swinson. And I'm like, you call me just as soon as you get in the door. And before that other people ever get back here i'll put the application in so we're the first and as i'm i'm reciting this like taking this into my own hands i'm feeling convicted because i'm like here i am praying god if this is your will you know let it work out and i'm just like but i i'm gonna make sure lord it is your will (laughs) because i trust you that much and 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 when it came down to it like i told my wife we're not gonna do that let's just we'll go look at it and if it's the Lord's will, he'll give it to us. And so we go look at it. We love it. We come back to turn an application. And of course, the people before us turn their application in. But they're like, you can turn a backup application because that never happens. But go ahead and do it. And we're like, okay, we'll just do it. And then a week later, we get a call that says, yeah, they backed out. The people in front of you, they don't want it for some reason. So it's yours if you want it. Now, that was a cool thing God did. But we had to give him the opportunity to do that. By waiting upon him instead of trying to take it into our own hands. Now, I could have took it into my, my own hands and maybe would have got it. But then I would have missed out on seeing God do that cool thing. And I'd much rather see God do the cool thing to build my faith than try to deal with it myself. Amen? So that's, that's something we want to do. We want to be like them. The people here, they didn't know what God would do exactly. But based on his character and his past faithfulness they knew it would be in their favor so they were able to stand firm waiting on him to see him do it and now we're going to see the lord respond to them by assuring them of three different things three different things that he assures us of in his word as well so it says or the the three different things he assures them of are peace direction and protection it says in verse 14 and the spirit of the lord came upon jehaziel and the son of zachariah son of benaiah son of jeel son of Mataniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, listen, all Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them and the Lord will be with you. First thing he tells them in verse 15, don't be afraid. Or basically, he gives them a reason to have peace. That's the opposite of fear. Second thing in verses 16 through 17, he gives them direction. They don't know what to do in this situation. He gives them something to do. He gives them direction. Not all the details of what's going to happen, but he gives them a direction to go in. And then the third thing in verse 17, he gives them, he promises them protection or the assurance of salvation in the midst of the adversity. So he gives them peace. He gives them direction and he gives them 
protection. All things God's word gives us all throughout it as well. And this is the reason why we don't have to be afraid. Because again, we don't have all the details, but we have final outcomes. And that's enough if you really think about it. If God gives given you a reason to have peace, if he's given you enough direction to know what to do, if he's given you the assurance of protection, is there really reason to be afraid? And the fact that he says that I'm with you. This battle isn't yours. I've already won it for you. You don't have to fight. Just like he's telling them. It's the same thing he's told us. And if you, the reality is, if you come against God's people, what we see here and all throughout scripture is you come against him. And what does Paul says? What does Paul say in response to that? In Romans 8, 31, he says, if God is for us, who can ever be against us? I mean, that's the reality, right? If God, the all-powerful creator of the universe, is on your side, can anyone really harm you? Especially when God said that he has only good things for you. We've been given this promise of victory. And Paul talks about this in Romans 8. He goes through all the hard things that we so often face in life. And then he says in Romans 8, 37, No, despite all these things, overwhelming victories are through Christ who loved us. Same thing he's telling the Jewish people here. And as a result, what he says in verse 17, this is what we need to do. Stand firm, hold our position, and see the salvation of the Lord on our behalf. And I, as I already mentioned, this can be the hardest thing because it takes faith, faith to trust in the Lord instead of what makes sense to you. But this is what Proverbs 3, 5 through 6 means when it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do, and he will show you which path to take. It's not our understanding or what we see. We need to trust in him and what he says in his word. And when you do, you will see the salvation of the Lord. And this leads to the seventh thing I want you to know. Your spirit of fear will be placed replaced with one of gratitude when you choose to trust God instead of yourself or anything else. Says in verse 18, then Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground and all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem fell down before the Lord, worshiping the Lord and the Levites of the Kohathites and the Korahites stood up to praise the Lord, the God of Israel with a very loud voice. And they rose early in the morning and went out into the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, hear me, Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, believe in the Lord, your God. And you will be established. Believe his prophets and you will succeed. In essence, what he's telling him is believe what God's telling you and you will be able to stand firm and see him deliver you. Verse 21, it says, and when he had taken counsel with the people, he appointed those who were to sing to the Lord and praise him in holy attire as they went before the army and say, give thanks to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab and Mount Sire who had come against Judah so that they were routed for the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Sire, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Sire, they all helped to destroy one another. So remember, just a moment ago, Jehoshaphat was fearful, clueless in what to do, powerless to save himself from this army. And that fear was because his focus was on his perception of things, his circumstances, right? Instead of being on the unseen God who was in control of all those circumstances. But now through prayer with fasting, 
his focus, not only his focus, the people's focus is where it should be. It's on the Lord in his faithfulness, in his goodness, in his awesomeness. And they're able to trust him in the battle they're facing. And they basically go into it with all confidence of the world because they send the worship team out in front. I mean, you look at some of our worship leaders. That's not who I'd send out into the battle. Maybe Stephen. He's kind of scary. But that's who they send. They don't even send anyone with any weapons. Because they're so confident in him. And they're, they're, they're praising him for victory that he hasn't even given yet. And all the while they're worshiping, what's God doing behind the scenes? He's fighting for him and winning that battle. So often that's what happens. Even before you're praying, God is working on your behalf. So often we, we pray and we're fearful at the same time, wondering if God's actually going to answer. And even as we're praying, God is answering our prayer, unbeknownst to us. And this leads to the eighth and final point I want to Take note of verse, uh, the eighth thing is their present problems led to the promised prize. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, verse 24, they looked toward their horde and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing and precious things, which they took for themselves until they could carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. And on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka, which means blessing, for there they blessed the Lord. Therefore, the name of that place has been called the valley of Baraka to this day. And then they returned every man of Judah in Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat at their head, returning to Jerusalem with joy, for the Lord had made them rejoice over their enemies. They came to Jerusalem with harps and lyres and trumpets, to the house of the Lord and the fear of God came on all the kingdoms of the countries when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. So the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet or they had peace in their lives for his God gave him rest all around. The same blessing that they received, the same rest, the same peace, even in the midst of this difficulty that God gave them is the same blessing, the same peace, the same rest he desires for every single one of us in our lives. All right? That's truth. But you got to be willing to trust him to see the good he intends for you. Hebrews 6.12 tells us we're to be imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. God's already made promises of blessing for you of good in your life, of peace, of rest. But they're received through faith, that's relying on him instead of ourselves, and patience, waiting for him to deliver on what he's told you. And if we are fearful and we run away or we put our trust in other things or try to handle things in our own understanding or in our own power, we may be preventing or getting in the way of the very blessing He intends for us, or at the very least, just not seeing it because our focus is so captivated or distraught in in other things that we're, we're not looking to him and seeing that he's actually coming through for us and what he's actually doing. This week is an opportunity to learn how to rely on God to an even greater degree in our lives and not rely on ourselves, to stand firm when we see things that are hard or difficult And like I said, for some of you, maybe you're already in the midst of that. 
right now. You're going through something really hard, some sort of adversity, sickness, trouble in your marriage, trouble with your kids, trouble at work financial issues, whatever it might be. These are things that we, if we're not facing it now, we're going to be facing it tomorrow or we're going to be facing it the next day. Jesus is very honest in this life. Praise the Lord, it's only a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. But in this life, you're going to have tribulation. But God has given us victory over this life and wants us to live in that victory. But we got to invite him in He's there knocking at the door, but we got to invite him in to handle it for us. And prayer is the way we do that. And every single one of us in here, I don't care if you think you're the best person of prayer ever. We can grow in it. It's a growing process until we're with Jesus again. And so as the worship team comes up here, I just really want to exhort you to not let the enemy discourage you from taking part in seeking God this week. And I would encourage you, there is no right or wrong way to pray. There is no right or wrong way to fast. We put these parameters on these things that God never asks. Prayer is simply just reaching out to God and saying, Lord, I'm powerless in this thing. I don't know what to do, just like Jehoshaphat, but my eyes are on you. I'm, I'm just asking I don't even know what to ask, but I know you have the answer. So I'm just choosing to evolve you instead of trying to handle it myself. That's prayer. And fasting is just saying like, I, I, I just want more of you, Lord. This thing my flesh craves, this thing that takes up so much time of my day, I can take or leave that, but I can't take or leave you. I want more of you and I want to set this aside so I can have more of you, so I can spend more time with you. So that can look in this room couple hundred people it can look a couple hundred different ways but this is something that i feel very strongly the lord is teaching us for a very specific reason because it is something that we need to implement in our lives daily but maybe even so to prepare us for that next battle that's on the horizon whatever that may be as crazy as this world's been the last couple years that's kind of scary to think about i didn't want to go there But I'm going to tell you something. If you go into that adversity already being tethered to God, like I talked about a couple weeks ago through prayer, being close to him, you will be way more stable than if that trial comes upon you and you're having to react to it and go to God while you're in the middle of it. That stability comes from being tethered to that foundation way before you ever get to the storm. And it's an opportunity to do that this week and learn it. So not it's not just a week thing, but through this rest of this year, we're regularly praying. We're regularly fasting. We're regularly involving God instead of trying to handle things ourselves. Amen? So during this last song of worship, I'm going to encourage you, just start talking to God now. Ask him, what does he want you to do? How does he want you to fast? How does he want you to pray this week? Does he want you to come to all the prayer meetings? We have them three times a day. Maybe you can only come to one. Maybe he wants you just to get up early in the morning and pray at home and hit the evening prayer meeting. Whatever it is, 
That's between you and him. But he's at the door knocking. And he wants you to invite him in so he can come in and have that meal, that fellowship with you. Amen? We'll have our prayer team around the room if you guys need prayer for anything right now. If you want to, like Jehoshaphat, involve other people, your brothers and sisters in praying for you, you can start right now. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord God, thank you so much that you would want to be involved in our lives, Lord. Just knowing how great you are and knowing how small we are compared to you, I mean, we seem really insignificant, but you tell us we're not. You tell us that we mean so much to you and and by that you've defined how much we mean and that you were willing to give your son for us. So we know we're valued greatly and you saved us so that we could have this fellowship with you and have a relationship where we can talk to you about all things in our lives. There's nothing too small that you don't care about it. There's nothing too big that it isn't an easy thing for you to handle. And I pray even now, Lord, for forgiveness in that even though I have this great privilege of trusting you and involving you in my life that I take that for granted and just try to figure things out on my own so often or try to be a dad in my own understanding, which I fail at so often, or I try to be a husband and I fail, or I try to figure out the what it is that needs to be done in any in, in you know the situation that just I don't know what to do, but I just go a direction that I think sounds good without ever asking you. I'm so sorry for that, Lord. Because you've not only offered to help me and empower me, but every time I've taken you up on that offer, you have been nothing but good and faithful in the way you responded. Lord, help me, help my brothers and sisters choose to come to you to an even greater degree, Lord, not only this week, but as we move forward in our lives following you. In Jesus' name, amen.